sharing our faith and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ with others is a desire of Zion Christian Fellowship. Our prayer is that this message will have a lasting impact on your life and draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is not copyrighted. You are free to make copies for friends and neighbors. We only ask that you copy it in its entirety without alterations or changes. Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Some nice old faces out there and some really new ones. Amen. Isn't that the way it should be? Bless the Lord. Well, I'm here today to very humbly and very... Um, in a lot of humility to bring the Word of God. Just in recent years, I've learned to hold this and cherish this so much. When the Bible says it's our strength, it is. When it says it's our hope, it is. And when you, when you hear that God in Christ is our deliverance, it is. And I'm just so thankful for that and just so humbled. I was humbled yet again yesterday by holding a new grandbaby. You know, um, as my children have children, um, the Lord laid on my heart a number of years ago when my first grandchild, Caitlin, was born to pray for them. The first time I hold them, I want them to hear Grandpa pray. And that's what I did yesterday. And uh, it seems like, you know, uh, the more you get older, a lot of times it's, you stop learning. But I thank the Lord that I'm not learn. I'm still learning and learning and learning over again. And uh, we have an amazing God. Well, I'm Dave Grice, Rice with a G on the front. And uh, I have been blessed by this congregation, even though you don't even know me. Um, I'm from Glory Christian Fellowship over in Western Iowa. And uh, I have some acquaintances here, um, some very dear friends here. And uh, I, I don't want to tell you this is my assignment, but uh, all of us ministers that were, were called upon each other to come and preach at each other's fellowships. And, uh, but I don't consider this a duty. I consider it a privilege to come. And, uh, you know, I heard, a, I heard a quote yesterday. And have you ever heard quotes that put the most complex things into the very most simplest words? And this says, worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal 
and righteousness look strange. Worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal. Look like the norm. Look like what should be done. And righteousness looks strange. You know, when we planted that church out in western Iowa, we found the town of Griswold, a very dear town, and God opened our hearts to them. But even though our hearts were open to them, as we interacted with the community there, they called us the little house on the prairie people. And that was okay. But I can tell you 10 or 12 years later now, they see a witness. They feel the witness. They experience the witness of God there. And I'm so thankful for that, that we, in walking in righteousness, we might look strange, but when they find out the reality of walking in righteousness there comes a miracle in their life. Well, that's not the sermon today. Um, The sermon title today um, is, How Could I Approach God? How's that for a pretty broad sermon? How could I approach God? Or maybe you think, hey, that's simple. You know, I know how to do that. Well, I want to use, um, but the Bible's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a book that gives us contrast. God loves contrast, light and darkness, good and evil. It's a book of contrast. And I want to look at one of the contrasts today. And help us to learn and to be encouraged in what the Lord is trying to say. You know, today's believers like us in God's church, we we find ourselves asking this question. How can I approach God? How can I? We ourselves are very frail, are very frail and We often sin. But do we realize and embrace who we are in Christ Jesus? Do we have that reality of who we are in Christ Jesus? Because that's a big part of how we approach God. God in Christ has transformed us from vile sinners into his children, his heirs, his beloved. Many times Satan does his work and turns things that are supposed to be right side up, upside down. And he says, you can't approach God. Look at the God of the Old Testament. Look at at the fire, the brimstone, the, the lightnings, the thunders. 
God is unapproachable. And all He wants to do is wait for the day that He can judge you. And that He can be rid of you, sinner. That's only half the story. That's only half the part of God, if even half the part. But Satan does his work. And even sometimes ourselves, we disqualify ourselves standing before God. Like we can't stand before God. Now you can maybe argue with me and say, well, some of the prophets that went in visions up to God, well, they fell on their face. I, I totally agree. But what I mean is that we can receive God as our Father without any consolation or compromise. I don't think that I could choose not to yield to what he is and what his word requires of me. If you really think about it, if you think about who he is, and I've asked this question so many times, if you see really and can can really see who God is and what the Bible, what he requires of me, how can you not change? How can you not believe? But yet, again, like I said, Satan does his work. Satan puts that wedge in. You know, there was a a cute story. I'm going to go off script here a little bit. Maybe I should put a mark where I left off. I don't know, age kind of makes it that way sometimes. But uh, there was a, an auction that happened. Anybody like auctions? But there was an auction that happened. And there was these, this whole table of old tools, old tools, well-kept tools, but old tools that were going to be auctioned. And then over here on the other side of the auction bunk, there was just a small table with one tool that laid there. And it was the most worn tool of every tool that was on that auction that day. And the people asked uh, as they were going through the auction, you usually save the best for last, don't they? So you have to buy the box for a dollar before you can buy what you really want. Um, and, well, the, the auctioneer went through all these tools. And he finally said, okay, this is the last item on the auction block. And people stopped the auctioneer and they questioned. He started the bid way higher than most everything else that went. They're like, why? Why are you, why are you starting this out so, so high? 
Well, this is the most used tool of Satan. It's a tool of deception. And I have come in with deception. It's used to get into that crack. It's used to get into that part and open it wide open. So I can do anything I want. And that was the highest price tool at that auction today. That's a, and that's true. Satan uses a lot of devices. But watch for deception. Watch for deception. It can, it can make your little thought turn into a change of heart. It can make a seed planted turn into a whole field. So be careful there. You see, if we understand the fear of God correctly, I'll just use that one as an example. Back in the Old Testament, people truly feared God because when He came in His presence on Mount Sinai and people or animals were warned not to come near the mountain or they'd die. That was a big deal. And there was fear. And I want us to understand that the fear of God, that the fear of God is a reverent thing. That it is a thing that we should welcome. The reverence of God. I don't understand the Bible. Um, this is another thing that um, some people say. Is I don't understand the Bible. And I find it hard to pray to God. To a God that's so far out there. I don't even know where he is. Look around at the closest littlest thing. You know, I was telling Earl today, this morning, that we, we were blessed by somebody just giving us a steer that, that we butchered um, night before last. But I was, we were cutting it down yesterday, and I had all the grandchildren there because Mama was having, having their, their brother. And uh, I came to this knee joint of this, and who, who would think that there was a Bible lesson in a knee joint of a cow? But there is. And I, so I stripped that thing back and I exposed this beautiful knuckle joint that was one side exactly fit into the other, better than you could ever fit it with any tool you could use. And it slid so nicely and all of the ligaments and joints all work together for this thing to work. And boy, you could have a lot of sermons off of that. You could have it for the church working together that God fitly frames. You could have it as just even seeing, wow, this is, this is a cow, but God's inner workings are in a cow. Well, look at an atom. Look inside of an atom. Look up at the sky. Look at the stars, the constellations. 
And yet we ask sometimes, I wish God would just reveal himself to me so I know that he's there. That's awfully selfish. And also we might even add to that, and that he would tell me what to do. Have you ever been at the crossroads? Everybody's smiling. Have you ever been at that crossroads? Lord, please. And uh, Leon had a story. Oh, my brother Leon, my other minister there, Larry's brother. He has a story that he tells. He says, there's a lady, and you might know the story, and I might mess it up, Larry, bad. But these people came to a crossroad. We walked up to a crossroad, and there's this lady, and she has this um, piece of stick, and she keeps dropping it. Then she picks it up. She drops it again. She picks it up. They're like, what are you doing? Well, I'm waiting for God to let that stick land this way or this way so I know which way to go. Oh, what we do, what we do. Ah. But one thing I can assure out of all of those other stories and things like that, I can assure you that God is real, that he's loving, that he's there, that he wants us in his presence and he in ours. God is loving, first of all. We have to, we have to you know, the way I talked about judgment and how God was feared? Well, over and above fear, God is love. There's a balance. God has a balance, and we need to find the balance right here in his word. But God is loving first over anything. And how do I know that? We were created in his image, right? We were created in God's image. And God tells us above all things, tells us in his word above all things to be charitable, to love. If we're created in his image, that means that's his image, to love. His greatest attribute is to love. Because God himself is love. Okay, I talked about contrasts. And I'm going to set this up as an Old Testament. Uh, my brother... My brother brought up the Old Testament. He brought up Malachi. And these are in the message today. That encouraged me that God is working. But uh, we're going to talk about the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. And remember the message is, how could I approach God? Well, in the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, how could you approach God? And we're going to look at a couple of things here. Adam and Eve walked with him, didn't they? So can I walk with him right now? No. Sin happened. Sin happened. 
So could they walk with him after sin? They could not. They were put out of the garden. And the garden was guarded. They couldn't come back into it. How about Cain and Abel? Their offspring. God told them to sacrifice to him. And for them to obey and live at peace with God. Cain didn't believe it or didn't want to believe it. And he murdered while Abel was trying his best to do right by God and to live and walk with God. And he was killed. How about Noah? Noah, God called him to prepare an ark in Genesis 6, 8. It says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God, God invited Noah into his presence. There are only few, and there's just a few on my list. There's only a few that God invited into their presence. And the only way that he could do it was giving them grace, giving them mercy, giving them love. Because he knew that he needed Noah to build the ark and to continue the generations. Abraham, God called him to a land that I will show you, God said. You might have heard the statement, going and not knowing. I've been in that situation a whole lot, a whole lot of times. Going and not knowing, just trusting God. God knew Abraham had great potential that lied within him because God put it there. To complete God's work for his people. How about Moses? Moses was another one of those that God invited to be with him. And that was by the burning bush. Although Moses tried to refuse, God had Aaron in the wings to comfort him. How about God's people? God's people, Israel. Remember, they were the ones that approached God when he was on Mount Sinai. When he gave the Ten Commandments to help his people, to help them understand They didn't know what righteousness was. They didn't know what holiness was. They didn't know that it was impossible for God to receive something that wasn't righteous and holy. They didn't didn't know that. So he had to tell them the Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments, brother and sister, are as strong today and as delivering today. If you would just obey the Ten Commandments today, you would be okay because it would lead you right to Jesus. The people of Israel well well God was had them all come to the mountain And Moses went to get the Ten Commandments. 
what did they do? They made a golden calf. They made a gold, with, with all that, with all that in front of them, all of that creation being used to show them that he is a holy and righteous and separate God. And they made an idol that they could see and touch, but not interact with. How about the tabernacle and the temple, the mercy seat, the ark of God with the covenant in there? Well, God's people, God's people decided to march it around because whenever they marched it around, um, that the, their um, enemies were fearful and ran. And so they marched it around enough in their pride that the enemy took it. And then God took it from them for eternity. It's gone. And finally, Moses' death. Moses' death marked an era of God approaching man. Did you realize that? It marked the era of God approaching man in that way. Can I just add that? In that way. Now God's people were limited to a high priest once a year approaching the presence of God and making an atonement for the sins of the people. And they even had to tie a little rope around his ankle just in case he did something wrong and they could pull him out because God struck him dead. The time of rituals, sacrifice, and the shallow ways of man to worship God. Do you think that's the way God designed it as he walked with Adam and Eve? That's pretty far away, pretty far apart. God wanted to walk with them. God wanted to be in their presence. But yet, because of his righteousness and holiness, he couldn't stay. He couldn't be there. The thickness of the veil in the temple was great. Israel often saw the wrath of God on those lives as a result of their willful disobedience. It's a fearful thing, the Bible says, to stand before the Lord. It really is. And we need to respect that. And that's the way it ended in Malachi. 400 years of silence pursued or ensued. No more inspiration from the word. No more prophets. Silence. From the last of the Old Testament to the prophet in the new. 
But praise God, he didn't leave us there, did he? He didn't stop at Malachi. There's a New Testament. There's a New Testament. Praise the Lord. God couldn't leave it at that. Why? Because He loves us. There are so many times where I said, God, why do you... I just... I asked Him in my stupidity, in my, in my, my childlike way, I said, God, why didn't you just clean house? And start over again. But that's not God. That's not His character. His character is grace and mercy and love. And, and that repentance is that beautiful avenue to set, to be at one again with God. Today we have a much different way to approach God. Amen? Amen? God's nature, His character, His character of love toward those created in His image, it really shows through. 400 years of silence was pierced through with the call of John the Baptist. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And there it, there it opened again. God coming to man and saying, here I am. Now will you come to me? You see the difference? Will you come to me? There were two mountains, contrast. I told you about contrasts early along. There was two mountains contrasted here in Hebrews. And if you want to turn to that, it's Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. And I'm going to read the two contrasts. um, Verse 18 to 21 and then 22 to 29. And it's a beautiful thing, this, this one section, 18 to 22 or 21. In my Bible, there's a little header that they put in there in case you want to know at a quick glance what that, what that section is about. It says, God is a consuming fire. And He is. He consumes sin. Okay, let's start in verse 18. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched. And that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. They cried out, stop, stop. For they could not endure that which was commanded, the Ten Commandments, and if so much as a beast should touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. 
So t- and so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. That's Mount Sinai. Okay? That's Mount Sinai for the one contrast. And let's begin in verse 22 to 29. But, but, that's my favorite word in the Bible. Because usually it says how horrible things are and then it says, but God. But this, but that. So when I see that word, it just makes me smile. Because I know God's coming. God's here. So it says, But ye are come, children of God, ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God. So we can come to the city of the living God. He doesn't need to come to us anymore. The heavenly Jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels and to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of just men. Listen, made perfect. They're there because they're holy, they're righteous, they're perfect, and God did it. And, he, and the men let them do it. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Remember we talked about Abel and Cain. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, how much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven? Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, and God, by the way, his promises are yes and amen. They're faithful. They're true. They aren't going to change. You can stake your life on it, that promise. Because it's backed by God. It's not backed by man. It's not like a, you know, between me and Larry. Larry, I promise I'll come this today for preaching. <laughs> so just nothing like that. We'll go on. Yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of the things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. The things that can't be shaken will remain. And that's what we have. We have that solid rock that cannot be shaken. That cannot be moved. Wherefore, receiving a kingdom 
which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Okay? So we're, we have the two contrasts now between us, right here before us. And I'm going to read a number of these contrasts just to get our minds working through what God is trying to say. Mount Sinai, marked by fear and terror and judgment. On the other hand, Mount Zion, a place of love, forgiveness, salvation through Jesus Christ. Mount Sinai, a desert. Mount Zion, the city of the living God. Mount Sinai spoke of earthly things. Mount Zion speaks only of heavenly things. Mount Sinai, only Moses and those other few men could draw near to God. Mount Zion, a great assembly is invited to draw near, including us believers, including us. Mount Sinai, seen as guilty men in fear, hopeless to save themselves. Well, you know, that's a good spot. I always say it's good that God brings men to be hopeless and to see that they can't save themselves because they can't. Only God can in Jesus. And then Zion's mountain, seen as just men made perfect. Just men made perfect through that metamorphosis that he does in Jesus. Okay, Mount Sinai. Moses, the only mediator, is now gone. Hopeless. What? He's gone. Mount Zion, Jesus, the mediator, eternal. Eternal. Mount Sinai, the old covenant, sacrifice, and it only meant delayed judgment. Zion, new covenant, sinners saved by the once by once and for all with God's Son, Jesus Christ. The spotless, blameless Lamb of God. Mount Sinai, the wall, it's all about exclusion. Don't touch the mountain. Keep away. Mount Zion, it is about invitation. It's about invitation. If the contrast is there, exclusion, invitation. You see? And where are we at? Sinai is all about the law. Have you ever heard that? Law, law, law. We can't, can't do that. 
We have to have balance. God's word has balance all over in it. Even his contrasts have balance. So Sinai is about the law. Zion is all about the law applied through grace and fulfilled in Christ alone. The law applied by grace and fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Christ. Okay, that's all the compromises there I'm going to do with the mountains. The Old Testament believers are far off from God. Or, excuse me, not the believers, but the people. And then the New Testament, it was made, were made nigh. The believers are made nigh through the blood of Christ who died for all men. For all men. And beyond John's cry in the wilderness about repenting for the kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus cried out. He cried out, it is finished. It is finished. We can approach God in full assurance of His promise. We can approach God as His children and heirs. We can approach God covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We can approach Him as His church. Now I want to read something here out of Romans 8.29. We can approach him as his church for whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. It's God's plan. It's God's plan. The church is the firstborn among many brethren. We can approach God as forgiven. Forgiven. But what needs to happen before forgiveness happens, according to what God says? We need to repent. We need to tell Him and recognize who we are before Him and that we don't measure up and that we can't do it on our own. But yet, with Christ as our mediator, as our covering, we can. We can approach God as our judge. We can approach Him as our judge. That's something to rejoice over as a born-again believer walking in the blood of Jesus Christ, we can approach judgment because we have Christ as our attorney and our lawyer and the one who pays the price. We can approach God perfected and accepted in the Beloved. Remember I used that word metamorphosis, that transformation 
That transformation is the changing of the heart. It's something a surgeon will never find in here. But it's the heart, it's the soul, it's the mind that works together that's transformed. The Bible says from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. That's how we can approach God. We can only approach God through Christ. He is the only mediator between God and man. Don't think it's a minister. Don't think it's a priest. It's not. He is the only, only one that we can come to God through, the mediator. The perfect eternal priest and sacrifice, the Bible calls him. Witnessing the power of the Father, the power to raise Jesus from the dead. Abel shed blood. Remember Abel? First part of the message. It cried out for vengeance. His blood cried out for vengeance. Christ shed blood cried out for mercy. And Abel's was just one time. Christ is mercy, 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 mercy. Into eternity. Mercy, even those who rejected him. Mercy, even those who would curse him. Mercy, even those who deny him. Mercy is there. It's available if we approach Him. Approach God fervently, frequently, prayerfully, passionately, and purposefully. Approach Him that way. Let's go back to our first first comments and question. How could I approach God? How could I approach God? How's my time? When am I supposed to be done? When I'm done? Amen. Amen. You know, I had prepared this message actually, what, Earl, a month ago? Because I was supposed to be coming. And I saved it. I saved it. But there was a message that I preached here just a week ago or so at Glory Christian Fellowship. I almost just said at Glory. Sometimes people go, hmm, what? But um, it was on separation. It was on separation. Now, there was a, there was a diagram. And can I, I should have tell, told somebody, can I use this board? Okay. Now, what I did with the congregation during the message is I, hopefully all you guys in the back can see, I did a triangle and I put a whole bunch of lines. I'm not going to put as many lines as I put in the other one. Okay. And then I put the world. And then I put God. 
Okay? And then I put the word process going up this way. Okay? Now what I asked the congregation to do is I said, okay, this is, this is the beginning. Okay? What is, what's on these lines? It's, I asked them, I said, tell, uh, tell me what keeps us from God. What keeps us? The message is on separation. What needs separated from a Christian? Or from a, from a worldly believer? What, what, God, what does God's law tell us to separate us from? And let's just do that quick. A couple of words. That's all I need. Sin. Okay? Sin. Whoops. Okay, what else? Pride. What else? Love of money. What else? Self. Yes. And we can write self big. That's okay. What else? Don't look for a big sentence. We can subdivide this. What? What? Hatred. Hatred, yes, hate. We can even put that one big too. What else? Just one more. Bitterness, yes. Whoa. Don't take a picture of this. This is really bad. Okay, so at that point, I said, all right, now, what does God's Word, God's Word tells us to, to separate, okay? So now, I'm going to draw the goal, Okay, this is the goal, this is where we start, there's the process. Now, the goal is to replace things to get them out of our life. So bitterness, Let's, what are we going to replace bitterness with? What's the opposite of bitterness? Yes. What's the opposite of hate? Love. You know where I'm going. What's the number of what's self? Selfless. Can we use that? Christ. There you go. How about the love of money? What's the opposite of that? Giving. What's the opposite of pride? Humility. Oh, going to have a hard time putting that in here. 
Okay? And what is the opposite of sin? You're going to say righteousness. You're waiting for me to try and write it. Righteousness. Okay. And again, this isn't part of the message. This is something God brought me to mind when I was sitting up at uh, Earl's. Now, we can't have anything over here if we're going to get to here. Okay? Are we clear with that? But the main point I wanted to point out is this. The contact point to the world. Okay? That's biblical. You can look up Scripture for that. We are not, we're in the world, but not, finish the sentence, of the world. Okay? We're in the world, but not of the world. And this visual, when God put that on my heart for that message, I was just like, wow, that's it. And I just wanted to show that to you. Not part of the message, but it does apply to the message. Brothers and sisters, remember, he's done coming to us. It's up to us to come to him. Okay? He loves us with everything, but he cannot, because of his character, his very being, he cannot come to us if we are sinful. It separates us. So open the door. Open the door to righteousness and holiness and forgiveness and humility. What is Chris? Christ? I didn't want anybody to be distracted by that here at the end. (laughs) Forgive me. But, seriously, we have to come to Him. Now, we had... We had a beautiful message reminding us on fatherhood. You know, me as a grandpa, that even blessed me because guess what? I have grandchildren. And guess what? I still have children. They're a little bigger than me. Older, not older than me, but they're bigger. A couple of them anyway. But it's still, I have to have the heart of a father. I'll die with the heart of a father. No matter if it's grandchildren, great-grandchildren, or great-grandchildren. And we really have to look at that. Fathers. And mamas, keep loving those babies. Keep, Keep teaching them. You are... I don't think man could have taught children 
That's why he gave mammoth. Seriously. I mean, I help with some of the homeschooling and all that. But, but seriously, that heart of a mama. What God put into a mama that, that wakes her at night and that, that it just is amazing. And not only that, but you have to take care of your husband too. Sometimes we're not too hard, to, too easy to take care of. But um, yeah, well, let's think on these these all these things that we have had laid before us today. Even the even the prayer at the dinner table, making it holy. Amen. You know, the Bible, the Bible tells there's a book of record in, the Bible, or in heaven, a book of record. Jesus said, make it a book of record. When Christians, when my, my children are talking about me down on earth, record it in that book. And it doesn't say for me, it does, God doesn't say for me, he says for them. For them. So when we get to heaven, we can see all of those little little conversations that we had, maybe in private, maybe in public. But we were we were or we could have not said a word at all and just worked together on a project for someone recorded for us to be able to see. It's a praise to God. It's a praise to God. All of it. Don't miss out. You young ones, think on these things. Think on these things. It's important. It's eternity. They might seem very big to you right now, but think on them. Talk to mom and dad about them. They're so important more important than anything else that could happen in your life. Amen. Well, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful, Lord, that we have hope. That we have a future that's promised by you, God. And I want to thank you, Lord, for each one here represented here today. God, that you would work a work that is an eternal work in them. If they needed to hear, Lord, about separation, amen. If they needed to hear about fatherhood, amen. If they needed to hear about being a child of God, amen. Father, do your work. We know, Father, that we're just vessels down here. But, Father, we need to be prepared vessels. And, Father, prepare vessels in this body here. And give them, Lord, your spirit, your presence over this place. In Jesus' name, amen.